0: Thank you all. Give Jesus a mighty shout of praise. Let's do that. Awesome. All right. Well, it is great to be back. It is my third time here at New Beginnings, and I just love to be here. I count it an honor that your pastor would allow me to step into his pulpit for for the weekend, and I get to spy on you guys a little bit of social media stalking. I can say that I'm guilty of that, and I just love what I see here. I love, there's always something new, there's always something growing, there's always progress here. So it is really cool to be part of a church here in New Jersey that is doing things right, that's loving on people, that's extending the kingdom, so give yourselves a round of applause. I'm just believing this is going to be a really powerful service if... All the junk that I've had to go through in the last week is any indicator. You know, oftentimes when you have heightened seasons of spiritual warfare, that ought to be your first heads up that God's getting ready to do something powerful. And I had the bank make a mistake and freeze all my bank accounts, and then things just went dominoing from that. I've been cleaning up messes all week long of late payments and everything that have happened because of that really testing my patience. And then a couple days before I get here, somebody backs into my car that's just a month old, so that's real fun too. So, I just told God, I said, God, I just want you to do something in the services here that would make the devil regret the day that he messed with me, okay? How many of you with us? Let's believe that God does something powerful here to make the devil regret the day, amen? All right, well, let's pray and get into the message. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in New Jersey at New Beginnings. And I just pray tonight, Father, that you would use the words that you have put into me, God, and that you would just take them, just, just take me out of the equation and, and use them to speak something uniquely, God, into everybody here, into their situations, in their circumstances, into their lives, Father. I'm not praying for just mere information, but for revelation that brings application and transformation. Father, we're believing for freedom, deliverance, and changed lives starting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a man from the mid-1900s that became known as the Einstein of theology. I'd be surprised if many of you know his name in here. You'd have to be a real theology nerd, but it's Karl Barth. And he had studied so much about God that eventually he wrote this book. that was kind of his prized book called Church Dogmatics, which was six million words, covering creation to the second coming of Christ. Now, the average book like this is about fifty to 60,000 words, so six million is a lot to say, okay? But all of his research and writing eventually led him around the world to lecture at all kinds of places. When he got to the University of Chicago, a young theology student raised his hand and said, Mr. Barth, of all of the things that you have researched and written about God, what is the one most insightful, most profound thing that you have discovered? Just, you know, a small, simple question like that. Karl Barth paused, and then he smiled. And he began to recite the words of an old Sunday school song that maybe some of you in here know. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Come on, help me out. For the Bible tells me so. You guys are good. Good job. Think about that, though. By the end of this man's career, after countless hours of study and millions of words written, he came to the conclusion that the most insightful, the most profound, the deepest thing that he had discovered about God is that God loves him. God loves you. What do you think when I say that to you? Can you really receive that when I say God loves you? As I've traveled and ministered to various people, I've found that unfortunately a lot of people can't. One preacher tells a story about how they had people turn to their neighbor and say, God loves me, and everybody turned to their neighbor and said, God loves you. It's easy to say, oh, God loves you, brother or sister so-and-so, but when we talk about ourselves, it's harder Because we live in the behind the scenes of our lives, right? We know if we were God, why we shouldn't or wouldn't or couldn't love ourselves. A study, a university study, revealed that three out of four Americans believe that God is either furious, critical, or distant. The opposite of somebody that's loving And there's been all kinds of skewed views that we have had about God's love based upon all kinds of things. Maybe things or ways people have tried to demonstrate love to you, flawed ways in the past. Maybe opinions that people have had. Maybe legalistic religious systems that have tried to tell you that God's love is based upon something. Look good enough, achieve good enough, perform good enough, behave good enough, and God will love you. Don't and you won't. I was raised in a denomination, maybe some of you can relate to in here, that I just came to believe that if I didn't sit, stand, kneel, genuflect, and take communion in all just the right ways, that God was not going to be satisfied with me, and he was going to look for ways to get me. And every picture and statue that was all over the church of Jesus just looked like he had the worst day possible always. And he was just going to take it out on me. So, I thought God was out to get me, and you know, we used to hear that as kids don't do that, God's gonna get you. So, I couldn't fathom God loving me. I thought God was mad at me. And so, I'm not pointing the fingers at any one religious system, we all have things that are flawed. And certainly the denomination would take issue with what I said. But it's, it's not a person's fault. It's not a system's fault. It's really what Paul says are powers and principalities behind all of that stuff. It's the enemy. He has tried to skew your view of God's love because he knows the power of God's love. He knows that it is the foundation against his attacks, threats, lies, and accusations. And it's the foundation of having a deep, intimate relationship with God, which is the whole point of this thing we call Christianity in the first place. So if you're in here today and you can't fathom that God loves you, or you think that God's out to get you for something, then I want to change your perspective today. Because God's love isn't based upon something. Actually, God doesn't even just love. It's not something he does, which might be interesting to you. Because 1 John 4.16, it says that God is love. And all who live in God live in love and God lives in them. You see, God doesn't just look at you and say, oh boy, you really screwed up today. I don't think I can love you. Love is not something God turns on and off based upon whatever. Love is who he is. It's not a quality that he just possesses. It is who he is. And maybe, if you've been in the church for long enough, maybe the the message that God loves you has become so familiar that it's lost its significance. Certainly I dealt with that for so long. When I came out of that system where I believed that God was mad at me, and then I was saved at 16 years old, and I understood that God loves me, and God wants to have a relationship with me, after a while I thought, okay, that's great. That's Christianity 101. Now let's get on to something deeper. And I'd get into my college years and I remember hearing when the pastor would speak about God's love, I'd think, oh, please, can I just skip this one? I'm kind of tired of hearing about it. Let's get on to something deeper. Let's talk about casting out devils and healing the sick and raising the dead. Christianity 501, 601, and 701. (laughs) But eventually, like a decade later, as I started to be confronted about challenges in my own life, and I started to be confronted By all the mistakes I made after I was a Christian that the devil held over my head to make me question whether I should be a Christian. As I started to be confronted about all of the things that made me believe that God couldn't love me much less use me. Well that's when the message that Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so became the most significant, the deepest, the most profound message ever. And frankly I just can't get enough of it. But you know what? The Bible does more than just tell us so. God did more than just tell us so. He showed us so. He demonstrated it to us. John 3.16, the verse that we all love to quote, says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, ultimately to be the very embodiment of love. We look to Jesus to see how God loves and why God loves and who God loves and when God loves and where God loves. And we could go throughout all the interactions Jesus had with people in the Gospels for the next year and study about the who, what, where, when, and why is of God's love that he demonstrates. But the one that I really want to hone in on throughout this message is a familiar one if you've been in the church for a while, but it's the story of the woman at the well. If you have your Bibles, you can put your thumb in John 4.4 because 4, we'll go there in just a few seconds. But I really believe this story is what encompasses so much about what God's love really looks like when it's demonstrated to us and to other people. But before we meet this woman that Jesus met there, let me just give you a little bit of backstory of what was happening. Jesus was baptizing with John the Baptist in the countryside of Judea. Next, he wanted to go to a place called Galilee. But John 4, 4, here's where it picks up. It says that he had to go through Samaria along the way. Now, if you can handle a history lesson for just a minute, just hang on here with me in a geography lesson. Jesus was in Judea, which is here on a Bible map. He wanted to get to Galilee, which was here. Samaria was in the middle. That's why the Bible says he had to go through Samaria on the way. But this was a problem because Jesus was Jewish. And the Jewish people downright hated the Samaritans. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but basically just to kind of summarize it up for you. The Samaritans were once considered part of God's people, but then they Strayed and went their own ways, and the Jewish people considered them having been contaminated by the world, basically. And they didn't want anything to do with them. They couldn't even hardly consider them God's people. And so they would do their best to go around Samaria, and if they couldn't do that, they would definitely not interact with any Samaritans, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. In verses 5 through 7, it says, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Do you see this? Jesus didn't go around Samaria and take the long, scenic route to avoid them. Nor did he walk through all tents saying, don't look at me, don't touch me, don't catch eyes with me, don't let your unholiness infect my righteousness, like some of us might do. Come on, let's be real. I mean, and I was one of them for too long. In my college years, I believed that I was part of the holiness police, I think. (laughs) I was just inspecting all of my friends' lives to make sure that they ate and drank and behaved well enough to live up to some standard that I believe that God had called them to. But Jesus didn't walk through with any kind of judgmentalness. No. He went to that well, and he sat there in Samaria, and he waited. And he asked her of something. Something. He says, please give me a drink. He shows her dignity. He shows this woman that she's worth getting something from. And this surprises the woman. Not only because she was a Samaritan, but also because she was a woman. And it was a big, big no-no in those days for a Jewish man to talk to a woman in public. It really hindered their dating game, I'm sure. (laughs) So she says, you're a Jew, and... I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replies if you only knew the gift that God has for you. What a demonstration of love, right there. That Jesus' love knows no bigotry, it knows no boundaries. Jesus loves the outcasts. He loves the rejects. He loves the one that the world and even sometimes the church world deems too dirty or too different. In fact, compelled by that love, Jesus went and he sat there and he waited at that well for that woman to come there so that he could show her dignity. He could show her that she's something of value. That he could share about a gift that God had for somebody like her. And I know some of you in here, you can deeply, deeply relate to this Samaritan woman because of some things from your past or maybe family history or maybe even struggles in your present. People and certainly the devil have tried to define you as somebody that's not worthy of being in the family of God. And if that's you today, listen. If somebody has made you feel like you don't belong in a place like this, that you don't belong amongst the people of God, then hear this. God does not see you based upon where you're from. He doesn't base his love for you based upon what you've done, not even based upon what you're sitting on right now. No, Jesus loves you because he sees something inside of you, something inside of you that looks like God. Behind the dirty curtain of your painful symptoms, of all the junk that the world has tried to put on you, is something beautiful to be seen. It's the face. It's the image of the one that has created you, something that no devil could steal and no sin could destroy. God loves you because he sees you in his image. That's the reason why he can love you unconditionally. That's the reason why he can love people before they can ever love them back. That's the reason why he loves people despite the things that they've been through and despite the struggles that they're going through. There's an image in you that looks like God. God loves you. But the woman came at noontime. And this is a very important part of the story. Because going to the community well was the highlight of their social lives in those days. It was kind of like us grabbing a cup of coffee with some friends. Only they couldn't quite press the start button on their donkey and go riding down the road to the local Starbucks. No, it was a process. It was quite the journey for them. They had to carry buckets And so they went in the cool of the day, not in the heat of the day. They went at morning. But this woman went at noontime. Why? Because she was ashamed of herself. She saw herself likely as nothing more than an immoral woman living with a man who was the sixth in a string of men. And she wanted to go at a time where she wouldn't get judgmental looks from people that she felt were perfect. So she went at a time in the heat of the day when she felt few would be there, if anybody. Her shame caused her to hide, and that's what shame does. Shame is just the belief that because of this or that in your life, that you are someone who is wrong. And it causes you to hide from people, to put great walls up. It causes you to hide from God. When Adam and Eve fell to their first sin, they were naked and they were afraid. They felt the first shame and they hid from God. But God came pursuing to show them the way out. I remember when I first started this ministry and the devil suddenly started reminding me of my every sin since potty training. And made me feel like I wasn't good enough. To do what I'm doing today. And I thought I meant quit everything and just walk away. But God came pursuing me to show me the gift of Jesus on that cross and his finished work. Amen. And God came pursuing this woman too. Jesus went pursuing her. Listen, he was God. He didn't just happen upon her. She didn't just happen upon him like it was a coincidence. Oh, you happened to be here. No, he knew she was going to be there. So he sat there at that well and he waited for her not being surprised that she would be there. He met her in the midst of her shame, at the height of her shame in order to show her dignity, in order to show her value, in order to give her a glimpse into her destiny, in order to start a relationship with her. And Jesus has done the same with you right now. You are not here by any coincidence. No, I believe the Holy Spirit has been sitting in here waiting for you to get here so that you could be whispered into your ear that he loves you, that he wants a relationship with you, that he wants you as part of his family, that you are not too far gone. Here, God has pursued you into this place to start or deepen a relationship with you because he loves you so jesus continues the conversation with this woman and now he goes deeper and he cuts to the quick and it's always a fun thing when jesus starts to meddle and get personal in our lives isn't it and so jesus says to this woman He says, go and get your husband. It's kind of a trick question. She says, I don't have a husband. And again, Jesus is God. Of course, he knew this. But really what I think he was trying to get at is he needed her to confess her situation to him. He needed her to get real about her life in front of him. And that's really the first step in our healing too is when we finally get real before God about the things that he already knows anyway, right? Give God some praise. That's right. When you finally get real before him, you start to confess some things. And so Jesus says to her, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now let me give you just this sidebar for just a minute so you don't misinterpret maybe some of what I'm saying. Love does speak the truth. It doesn't just sugarcoat everything. Jesus wasn't turning a blind eye to her life. And by him being in conversation with her, he wasn't just automatically accepting of everything in her life, but he was also saying that the things about your life don't automatically disqualify you from being in relationship with me. And maybe we have to realize that in the people that God's calling us to relate to. That just because we're in relationship with something doesn't mean that we're pro this or that. Maybe it just means that we're first and foremost pro the image of God in people. Maybe that's what God's asking us to do. So the woman's amazed. And she says, you must be a prophet. Then she starts asking him questions. At this point, Jesus gets to what he wanted to get to, and he finally introduces who he really is to her. He says, I am the Messiah. I'm your Savior. Basically, he says, I know the worst about you, but that doesn't change my mind about you. I still love you, I still want a relationship with you, knowing the worst about you, I still want you as part of my family. I remember God dealing with me in a similar way when I started to confess things and get real to him about some things in my life, and I felt at that moment that I had broken news to God, which is a real stupid thing, but that's how I had felt. I had broken news to God, and oh oh no, now God knows about this and that, and now maybe God can't use me. And God took me to a verse that I think is a verse for some of you in here too. It's Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. And it just simply says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. He loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, get that, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so God said to me through that verse, he said, Kyle, you were no surprise to me. I knew all of that before I called you, yet I still called you. And God says the same thing to you today. You are no surprise to him. Hear that. You are no surprise to God. That verse basically says that before you were ever created, God knew all the good, the bad, and the ugly about your life, yet he still decided to bring you into existence. Can you fathom that? God saw all of your bad days, your worst days, everything about your life, and he still decided to bring you into existence so that one day you would meet his son Jesus to be an invited into his family because he loves you so much. Do you get that? Because he loves you so much. Jesus loves you even though he knows the worst about you. That is a great demonstration of the kind of love that Jesus shows, the kind of love that he also wants us to show. There's a lot more to the story that you could read on your own. But I want to get to the point of where this got to. Because love compels. Jesus' love compelled the woman to do something. And in verse 39, the story, verse 28 rather, the story picks up. And it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, Telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Do you see that? This love, this kind of love compelled the woman to leave her water jar, what she went there in the first place to get, to leave her water jar and run and tell the people, the same people who were just like her, the same people considered too dirty and too different, just like her, and told them, here is a man who told me everything I ever did, yet still loves me. You know, it's been said that the most powerful four words in the English language are, I love you anyway. And that's basically what Jesus said. So she goes and she tells her own people about this man and about her encounter with this man and this kind of love. And look what that kind of thing did. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. And he didn't walk away and he didn't condemn and he didn't judge and he didn't say, eh, you're too far gone. He still invited her into his family. The point is here, Jesus doesn't just want you to know his love so you can just have some goosebumps and feel good about yourself. He wants you to know his love so you'll go show his love. So you'll go tell people around you about the same kind of love that healed you. Think about this picture for a minute. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come here to this world. He left his comfort zone to come into a world of people too dirty or too different than he was. But when he spent some time with us, he didn't go back to heaven and say, oh gosh, these people are horrible, these people are awful, I didn't even want to touch them or talk to them or look at them. God, you got to do something different, scrap the plan and start over. No, he didn't do that. He entered the battle with us. He walked alongside of us to show us the way out. That's what love does. That's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates. It's a love that enters the battle with people. And that's what he's asking us to demonstrate as well. And I know God can give me some strong words sometimes, and this is probably going to be another one of them. But hear this. We have people right in here probably. People, part of the body of Christ, with us, sitting all around us that are dealing with things that they hate, that are dealing with things that they don't want for their lives any more than you want them for their lives, but yet they're there nonetheless. So we have to be very careful in the body of Christ as followers of Jesus, that we don't just go riding people out of the faith just because they have a battle that we don't or they struggle in a way that we don't. We also have to be very careful that we don't just be satisfied in giving some one-size-fits-all prescription that costs us nothing. Well, brother, just have more faith and just pray more. (laughs) Obviously, faith and prayer are important, okay? But maybe, just maybe, God wants us to be part of the solution. Maybe he's asking us to leave our comfort zones and go enter the battle with somebody to show his love by giving them an ear to listen to, a shoulder to lean on, a hand up, some strength in their weakness, to enter the battle with them, not just sit on the sidelines and mouth a bunch of do's and don'ts. When I look at this Bible here that we love so much, and I look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, one's thick and one's pretty thin, and I look at what is the story of this whole book here? One thing that just comes to mind is that I really think it could be summarized that love did in 33 years what law couldn't in 4,000. Love really healed. Love really saved. Love really delivered. And love still does today. So if somebody comes to you in here or out there and says to you, this is where I'm from or this is where I am at today. Can you show them dignity even if it's something that you don't understand? If somebody comes up to you and says, this is what I did last night, can you show them grace in the midst at the height of their shame? If somebody comes up to you and says, this is who I am, this is what I still deal with. Can you look beyond the surface of all of those layers and see the image of God in them and see somebody that God loves? Can you enter the battle with them to show them the way out? I know it's a strong word, but it's a strong radical love that God's asking us to show. If you have difficulties with that, trust me, I get it, I understand. I'm not perfect in all of this either. I mean, for so many years I loved God, but I didn't really love people, and God said it doesn't really work that way. So we started to bring me some people that really challenged my love. But there were a couple things that I learned that built a compassion in me. And one of the first things is, is I just started listening. You know, when you assume someone's narrative, you fail to hear their story. And so I started to listen to stories. And I started to realize that there are a lot of assumptions about people in all kinds of different walks of life that I had just been completely wrong about. And it built a compassion in me when I finally started listening. But the other thing is, is I just took a good, long, hard look at me. When you take a long, hard look at you and you see the things that God loves you in spite of, then it's a whole lot easier to love others in spite of things that maybe you don't understand about their life. They will know we are Christians not by our bumper stickers and our Facebook posts, our Instagram memes. And Lord knows our Snapchats or our graphic tees or our tattoos. They will know we are Christians ultimately by our radical, radical, radical love. Christianity, we need to be love leaders here. The world should not be outdoing us in love. We need to be the leaders of it. It's what grew the early church, and I really believe it's what's going to grow the church today. But the ultimate demonstration that Jesus gives us is what Romans 5.8 says, that God showed, he demonstrated his great love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the moment when we were too dirty or too different, when we couldn't love him back, In the height in the midst of our shame, Jesus saw it all, and he went to that cross, nailed to that cross, and his arms of grace were stretched out across that rugged, splintery beam, ultimately demonstrating, I love you this much. And that is the picture that the enemy never wanted you to see. So he skewed your views of God's love, hiding it behind all kinds of guilt and shame and legalistic religious systems that made love to be something that it isn't because he knows the power of love what Romans 8:38 says that essentially God's love links you in an impenetrable bond with God that no person no past no devil no body and no battle can separate you from that's the kind of power behind the kind of love that Jesus has for you so i want you to hear this loud and clear as we start to close here i don't care where you're from, or what you've done, and God doesn't either. His love for you is based upon you being made in his image. God loves you. Do you hear that? God loves you. 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 Everything else in your life will be worked out from that. You don't have to work so hard. Rest in the idea, in the knowing, in the truth that God loves you and things will start to work out by the power of the Holy Spirit from that. Amen? Amen. I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. As you heard me say earlier, you're no surprise to God and God isn't surprised that you're here. I believe the Holy Spirit got here before you ever did and he's been waiting for you to be here to give you the same opportunity that Jesus gave that woman at that well. You might be sitting in here on things that you're not proud of, on things that you wish would change but they're not on all kinds of things. But God's not surprised and he's met you here to tell you that he loves you, to reveal himself to you, and invite you into his family. If you're here today and you've never said yes to that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never had what the Bible calls being born again, said, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new, if that's you and you want that, you want to be part of the family of God, you want to be made right with God, you want a relationship with God, then just raise your hand you want to be cleansed, you want to walk out of here knowing that things are changing, knowing that you have hope, knowing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then raise your hand. I see your hands. Yes. This is an opportunity for you. Don't pass it up. God's been waiting for you. He pursued you right into this seat. Raise your hand if you say, I want to be part of the family of God. Yeah, all across the room. I see your hands, but most importantly, God does. And there are no magic words for this, but the Bible does say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he did what he said he'd do, that you can trust him, then you're saved. So I just want to lead us all into a prayer. I want us all to repeat this prayer and not to just mouth words, but to really be authentic about it. Just say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I want to be cleansed. I want to be at peace with you. I want to live in your love. So I ask you to come into my heart. Come into my life, Jesus. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me every day to be more like you. In Jesus' name, name. Amen. amen. If you prayed that for the first time, then welcome to the family of God. Let's give them all a round of applause. All of heaven celebrates with you and we celebrate you here as well. You have a family, a body of believers that wants to enter the battle with you. Will they do it perfectly? Probably not. You won't be perfect either, by the way. But they do want to help you and they're here for you. And I know there are all kinds of ways that they want to connect with you to walk alongside of you. So if you prayed that for the first time, there will be some prayer people up here at the front that just want to give you a gift and want to just learn how to connect with you and learn how to help you. So don't be afraid to come up to them and say, I prayed that prayer with Kyle. Don't do this Christian journey alone. Healing happens, deliverance happens with people and you have some great people to help you right here. Now I want us all to say, make a declaration. Just say, God loves me one more time. God loves me. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? All right, let's give God some praise. Awesome. Now that you know God's love, go to show God's love, okay? That's the point of it all. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and the opportunity to share your love, God. I pray right now for people that haven't been able to feel it, that they would feel it in a tangible way, Father. That they would know that they know that they know that you love them, that there is hope for their life, that there is freedom for their life, that they would walk out of here experiencing the freedom that you died to give them, Father. Help them now that they know it to go show it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.